0: What's more fun than a rom-com? How about a classic 90s rom-com? Better still, a new queer cinema rom-com featuring a young black lesbian filmmaker discovering a queer world of 20th century Hollywood, all the while dating a white girl. I've always said we need a triple threat black lesbian president to finally catapult us out of the decay of the patriarchy. Is filmmaker Cheryl Dunye our only hope? Welcome. You're listening to Real Charlie Speaks, an LGBTQ podcast spinoff of the film and television review blog, Real Charlie, looking at movies and TV from a gay male perspective since 2009. I'm your host, Philip Barr. Each month, I select a classic queer film, television series, or creator. I talk about how the subject spoke to me when I first discovered it years ago and how it stood the test of time. Join me now as we begin another episode adventure. Hi, everyone. So did you guess the film from the introduction? If you did, congratulations. If not, no big deal, because that's the whole point of this podcast today. So the film is 1996 Cheryl Dunier's The Watermelon Woman. This is one of my favorite films of all time. It's on my top 100 films list. Um... It's just a gorgeous film for so many reasons, and I'm so proud to be talking about it on Real Charlie Speaks. Um, so to introduce this and to get us going today, there is actually a Watermelon Woman website that was created around the 20th anniversary celebration back in 2016. So I just want to read a bit of the uh, of the background on this uh, film, just the synopsis. Cheryl Dunye plays a version of herself in this witty, nimble landmark of new queer cinema. Restored for its 20th anniversary, a video store clerk and fledgling filmmaker, Cheryl becomes obsessed with the most beautiful mammy, a character she sees in a 1930s movie. Determined to find out who the actress she knows only as the watermelon woman was and make her the subject of a documentary, she starts researching and is bowled over to discover that not only was Faye Richards a fellow Philadelphian, but also a lesbian. So that's the synopsis of the film. Um, So I want to start out just by talking about a couple of things. Um, I first want to mention that um, I did watch the 20th Anniversary Restoration. That's the most recent edition of the film that's out. So that's on DVD. There is not a Blu-ray version. There's not a 4K version. But there is a 2K version um, that came out in 2016. It was sponsored by 13th Gen. Outfest Legacy Project, the UCLA Film and Television Archive, the Toronto International Film Festival, and first run features. Really, with The Watermelon Women, I mentioned that it's a rom com, but really that's just one aspect of it. There's a lot of different uh, facets to this film, which is why I think I love it so much. So it is a rom com on some level. It's also really packed with historical fiction, which we'll talk quite a bit about. It's also a mockumentary, so if you love Christopher Guest films or um, other mockumentary-style films, you will really relate to this. It's absolutely an indie film. Uh, It's Cheryl's first feature film, full-length feature film. And, of course, it's a queer film. And I feel like it's important to say that it's not just a queer film. It really is a black lesbian film. Cheryl was the very first black lesbian filmmaker to create a feature film, and have it be produced. And that was in 1996, if you can imagine. The list of women since then, uh, it took about 16 years for someone to really break through and have her film um, really... put out there on the circuit um, and be acknowledged as well from the mainstream film community and that would have been um, in 2012 D. Ree's Pariah. So, uh, you know, Cheryl is really not only a pioneer, but she is also um, still one of the few black lesbian filmmakers that has made a name for herself. So the film opens up with Cheryl videotaping a Jewish African American wedding, which I think is really telling because there are a lot of um, parts of this film that are about sort of melding different aspects of different cultures together. And so I feel like that's um, that opening really is is she, she's very specific in in how she created that because at first you think oh um, it's a Jewish wedding uh, because you see someone in a yarmulke and then you see a number of. African-American people and you think, oh, well, maybe it's, you know, maybe these are just friends of the family or whatever, or maybe they're African-American Jewish people. But then when she starts taking the video of the wedding party, you realize that it's actually an interracial um, uh, wedding. So it's really, really interesting to sort of start that off. Um, At at four and a half minutes, there's the first mention of the watermelon woman. So um, you hear about the watermelon woman before you actually see the credits to the film and then you see the credits to the film so um the great thing about this film for me is from an indie aspect is that is that it really truly is an independent first film um there is um a lot of grit to it. There are some choppiness. Uh, Some of the transitions are a bit choppy in places. Um, You know, she did this on obviously a shoestring budget. Uh, This was the first feature film that she did. She did a lot of short films before this. Um, I'll talk about her uh, filmmaking career uh, in, in a bit, but she did a lot of short films before this, but this was really her first Um, opportunity to make a feature film and the reason why this film stood out to me in 1996 and why I love it so much and it really is on my list of top 100 films is that within that structure of someone's first film you see most importantly that the story pulls you in Cheryl is a phenomenal storyteller and it shows in in this her first feature film So the search for The Watermelon Woman begins. Um, Cheryl doesn't know who The Watermelon Woman is. She sees um, an old film from the 1930s. There's a woman who's playing um, a black mammy character, and she is listed in the credits not by her name, but by the term The Watermelon Woman. So therein begins the search on Cheryl's part um, to sort of delve into this. So you're, you're sitting there thinking, you know, is this part truth is it part documentary what's going on here and then at the very end of the film um there's a credit that says that this was uh the story was completely made up so this is a feature film it's fiction um but it's based on a lot of truths within the filmmaking community within the african-american film community um and it's just a wonderful wonderful film and and again as i said earlier uh that image of the uh jewish african-american wedding um comes through in a lot of different areas so there is uh, a moment really early on where the watermelon woman saga begins and her exploration of films in from the 30s and 40s begins but also there is this burgeoning attraction between Cheryl and this white woman named young young white woman named uh, Diana so Cheryl is uh, playing a version of herself Uh, she's a 25 year old uh, young black lesbian living in Philadelphia Cheryl went to grad school in Philadelphia Um, and Diana is played by Guinevere Turner who is another Um, lesbian actress, uh, filmmaker, writer. um, And the um, chemistry between the two of them is really phenomenal. It's just very natural um, and just wonderful. There's a great sex scene in the film. It's just one sex scene. It's explicit, but it's explicit in a very wonderful way because obviously um, this was not shot from a male gaze or a cisgender heterosexual male gaze. It was shot from a lesbian gaze. And so Cheryl, as the director Um, made sure that, and she's in the, it's her and Guinevere that are in the scene together as Cheryl and Diana. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful, um, moment in the film because it's very natural and very uh sort of um longing and sort of um they they almost want to devour each other like so many of us um did when we were younger and hopefully when we're old, <laughs> a little older too but there's definitely that sort of 20 something energy that's going on between them that's really really a lot of fun the another thing that I found really interesting was that the way that Cheryl really um Emphasize the research that's involved in finding someone like the watermelon woman is that the movies are the scenes within the movie. There's interspersed um, archival images and also archival video, like Hollywood video, and also images from nightclubs from back in the day, from the 40s and the 50s. And it's really, really uh, a great tool to keep reminding the viewer that this is not something that happens lightly just like if you go on your own and do in an, um, ancestry work um, when people go to research people like this a very minor uh, actress from the 1930s, or 1940s, it really takes a lot of work to do that. And this, of course, was 1996. So it's before the internet. It's before Google. It's before smartphones. So Cheryl literally had to go and talk to people that were around during that time period. She had to go and talk to people who were film historians or just people that were sort of obsessed with films. And she does that in the, in the during the course of the movie. She, so she goes and visits quite a few people um, on her own. And it's great. Um. Also, as I mentioned, she, she's playing a version of herself, and the cast is actually populated with people like her actual mother plays her mother, um, and she uh, really blends biographical elements within the fiction. So the mockumentary style... Um, although it is definitely mockumentary. I I tend to feel like when I say the word mockumentary, I think more of comedy. And there's a lot of lighthearted, really fun moments, laugh out loud moments even in this film. But I wouldn't necessarily call this a straight comedy. This really is... Um, about uh, a young woman that's longing to figure out who she is, what is her place in the world, what is she going to do with her life, and then where does she fit in in the history of other people that came before her, which is, to me, that's really the the absolute, you know, the core of this film. There's also some really fun cameos. There's a hysterical cameo from historian Camille Paglia, who uh, is a white woman telling Cheryl all about, she's a white uh, professor, um, and she's telling Cheryl all about black culture um, and being just her usual Camille Paglia self, if you uh, know who that is. And then there's also a confessional aspect to the film. There's a lot of exploration of race and gender. Um, a couple of really great movie props. Uh, are, you can see them in this film, obviously because Cheryl's character is what, someone who's trying to become a filmmaker. Um, I love the fact that she had a poster of Isaac Julian in one of her um, uh, in one of her scenes, and then also a poster from the documentary *Living Proof*, which was about HIV-positive gay male swimmers that came out during this time period as well. The '90s was just ripe for. Um, for filmmaking and especially for queer filmmaking. So um, in the beginning I mentioned something about the New Queer Cinema and the New Queer Cinema was um, a group, there were a group of filmmakers, queer filmmakers that came about in the uh, 1990s and they they created film uh, that was by queer writers, by queer directors, by queer filmmakers Um, for a queer audience. And um, there was no apologies. Uh, They really pushed the boundaries on a lot of things because we sort of went from like being mistreated by Hollywood. And then in the early parts of the 80s and the early parts of the 90s, we were trying to make these really, um, really respectful films. And so a lot of these filmmakers really sort of flipped that on its head and said, we can have bad characters as long as we make them ourselves. We just don't want other straight people to be making those bad characters. So there was a lot of politics behind new queer cinema. It was during the time of ACT UP, during the AIDS, the height of the AIDS crisis. Um, a lot of the male filmmakers uh, did not survive. People um, you know, there were a lot of people that did not survive. And then the female filmmakers went on to do other things. uh, And the male filmmakers that did survive like Todd Haynes and people like that also went on to do like really remarkable things as well. So another thing that was really great was that I mentioned that Cheryl did uh, a number of trips to see people. So uh, one of the funnier moments, um, but also, again, reminding the audience that, Someone who is doing this kind of research has to really go to these places and do the research. Uh, Cheryl takes a a trip to New York City to um, a lesbian archive collection. And uh, the uh, name of the archive is called Lesbian Information and Technology. Um, or I'm sorry, it's called the center for lesbian information and technology. And if you think just a moment about the first letters of all of those words, yes, it is uh, called clit. <laughs> so that was absolutely funny. Um, and Sarah Schulman, who's a writer and was and an AIDS activist, um, uh, has a, a short cameo in there as well. Also, one of the things that's really great about Cheryl is that um, there's a lot of Butch Dyke representation in um, in this film by herself, uh, by um, other actors who are playing characters that are butch uh, black lesbians in the film. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of um, not a lot of representation in Hollywood of uh, Butch Dyke. So um, Cheryl really does her best here. And, uh, and I, for one, am somebody who wants to see more of that. I don't think there's enough of that. Um, so that's a really wonderful aspect of this film as, as well. Um, Cheryl uh, presents herself as she is. So there's moments in the film where she is uh, fairly butch. And there's other moments where uh, she uh, is a little softer. And it's a great way to see someone just being their self and exploring different aspects of their identity um, within, um, within the space of being queer, which is really nice. The culmination of the film is uh, Cheryl pronouncing that she is a black lesbian filmmaker, and as I mentioned, for a long time, she was the only black lesbian filmmaker. So representation is so important. Um, the film really delved into the importance of, the, of historical perspective and how important it is to learn from our ancestors and build on what they created. And then to wrap up, I am going to just um, talk a little bit about the cast because it's just an absolutely wonderful cast. And then mention, um, talk a little bit about Cheryl's um, filmography, uh, both with film and with television and how she's made a living. So the cast, as I mentioned, Cheryl plays a version of herself. Guinevere Turner, I mentioned earlier, is Diana, her love interest. Valerie Walker plays Tamara, uh, her really, really funny Um, sidekick and best friend they work at a video store in Philadelphia so if you had uh, a love for video stores which I absolutely did um, I got to work at one of the best greatest uh, video stores ever in the Hudson Valley um, alternative videos and so that is an integral part of the film as well which is really fun Um, also Cheryl uh, did not want to go to Library of Congress to, to, to get any of the films because it was going to be too expensive for her to get access to film archives. So she and several other people created their own. Um, the, the, all the stills from the 30s and 40s and all the film clips are all created. They're fictional. Um, and so Lisa Marie Bronson plays uh, Faye Richards, the watermelon woman. Cheryl Clark plays uh, June Walker, which is an older, uh, she's an older Butch Dyke. Um, Irene Dunye, uh, Cheryl's mom, plays herself. Um, and I mentioned Cheryl, Cheryl, uh, Sarah Schulman and also Camille Paglia. So f- Cheryl's filmmaking, as I mentioned, began before The Watermelon Woman. There's a great uh, DVD collection called The Early Works of Cheryl Dunye. I believe it's owned by Criterion as well. Criterion has its streaming uh, I'll have to check that, but I, I I believe that's correct. After she did Watermelon Woman, she did Stranger Inside, which was really a really incredible mother-daughter film about incarceration in the black uh the black female community. She did go completely Hollywood and did My Baby's Daddy um, after that, and then sort of went back to indie film. Um, She taught for a long time and she now has a film production company as well. So uh, a couple of the films that came out in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, The Owls and Mommy is Coming. And then her most recent film is a short film um, called Black is Blue. So those are her film credits, but then, of course, uh, she's been really working a lot in television. So she's uh, directed episodes of Dear White People, The Shy, Claws, Lovecraft Country, um, All Rise, Delilah, David Makes Man, and The Fosters, one of my favorite shows. So really, really um, incredible career from an incredible woman. I can't tell you enough. If you've never seen Watermelon Woman, you have to go out and and grab it. I will put links um, in the show notes for where you can find Watermelon Woman. It absolutely should be at your local public library. If it's not, they can still get um, the uh, the, the video version of that. You can find the Watermelon Woman streaming on a lot of different streaming platforms. Canopy has it. Amazon Prime has it sling has it Hulu has it Paramount has it YouTube has it Showtime has it Roku fubu um, YouTube it's just it's just almost everywhere um, and I do think that also criterion as I mentioned has some of her earlier works as well so definitely check it out uh, it's a it's a really fun um, insightful really really beautifully created um, and styled um early work by a really, really important filmmaker, Cheryl Dunye's The Watermelon Woman. I'm so glad to have brought this to you. I hope you had fun. Uh, Look forward to next month and the next project uh, that we decide to um, share together. Um, In the meantime, have an incredible month um, and be good to each other. um, Be safe. And I send you lots of love. Thank you.